0: The Apostle, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, a man passionate for the Lord, a man who persecuted the first century church, eventually getting saved on the road to Damascus, he's reading much of the New Testament. While, at, while in jail, he, he said, and he wrote this in Philippians chapter 1, 29, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Suffering is something that we don't want to happen to any one of us. But the truth is, suffering has come to humanity since the time of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan. Mentioning the word deceived, Christ had a word concerning the signs of the last days. And this came upon me on the eve of the attacks on 9-11. After three days and three nights of fasting and praying with several pastors from across the nation, and I was chosen to represent the West Coast, we were in deep prayer, and God spoke to my heart and revealed an answer to our search. We were asking God, what would it take for America to seek the face of God? What will it take for the church in America to wake up? And the Lord spoke to my heart, and I opened my Bible, and I found the words of Christ talking about the signs of the last days in Matthew 24. The first thing that he said concerning the signs, Matthew 24, verse 4, is that, Watch out that no one deceives you. Watch out that no one deceives you. It was deception that came upon Adam and Eve. They were deceived, they believed a lie, it resulted to their fall. And after that, suffering has come to all of humanity. Deception continues to march on, and continued on from that day. Now, fast forward about 620 years later, after Christ, a man was born in Mecca, in Saudi Arabia, named Muhammad. And Muhammad brought one of the biggest deceptions and lies that has ever swept the planet Earth. And that lie was that Christ was not crucified. You see, today the world is populated by 1.4 billion Muslims. These 1.4 billion Muslims are called to pray five times a day, together five times a day. Back in Arabia when we were there, I saw that 11 years every day, nonstop. There were no breaks in between. The streets will be deserted during the prayer time. Shops are required to close. Every business shuts down. And everyone finds their way to the nearest mosque. And this, the place, the entire nation stands still five times a day for prayer. but they were deceived. You see, we were attacked by terrorists on September 11, 2001. Fifteen of those plane hijackers were born in Saudi Arabia. All 19 of them believe a lie that Muhammad has preached to the Muslim people, his followers. And again, like I said, the biggest lie that Muhammad taught them was Jesus was never crucified. Can I tell you this, please, folks, listen. The Jesus in the Quran that the Muslims talk about is not the same Christ that we have in the Bible because the Jesus of the Quran was not crucified. The Christ, we believe, was crucified. He died for your sins and mine. That's why in the Muslim world, there is no repentance. They don't call God Father. They don't believe that God can be a Father. It is blasphemous to call God Father, to call Jesus the Son of God. Not so with the Christian faith. And for this reason, I begin my my talk today before you on the fact that deception continues to march on the face of the earth. The proof of deception it's with us today. It is surrounding us today. today. The proof is deception is people have more interest on other things than come to a church service like this. Deception. I've been all over the 50 states of America. I've spoken to every denomination you can imagine. And it broke my heart over the years. There are some places where the church would cancel a service because it's Super Bowl Sunday. Some would not, but they would show the game on a big screen so people will come to church. But you see, deception is crap to the point that even the Apostle Paul warns us to be careful about these deceivers. Watch out with the words of Christ. Watch out. How many of us are watching out? How many of us are looking after the the welfare of the body of Christ? See, when I got saved, I was a man deceived by religion. Religion is good. It has a lot of good things. I I was taught to conduct myself properly, to respect the elderly, to do good things. But the failure of religion has been the failure of religion ever since the beginning. Because I found Christ, found Christ. He found me, not through religion. I got sick and tired of religion one day, and I cried out to God. I said, Lord, are you real? Are you for real? Is there more to you than the church building, than religion? And sure enough, the Lord came to me that night. I began to shed tears of conviction I recognized first and foremost I was a sinner going to hell and I needed a savior. And there's a big difference between that and the doctrines of Muhammad. In the doctrines of Islam, they're ordered to kill the infidels without them realizing that they will be the first in line to go to hell. But see, in the doctrines of Christ, We are to love God and love others the way that we love God. And so when I got saved, I felt the love of God for the first time. Religion never loved me. But God loved me. When I felt the love of God, the first thing I knew that, I I recall that, I know I was a changed man once I became hungry and thirsty for more of God in my life. I wanted nothing but the will of God in my life. I was so hungry and thirsty for the Word, I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. In the process, God would begin to grow the faith that's in me. The Spirit of God would come upon me every time I would pray And every time I turned the Bible, it was like the words would come alive. See, the Word of God is alive because God is alive. I've never read the Bible where the words are not alive to me. Because I have been given faith by God to believe that He is alive. That Jesus is a risen Savior. Reading the Bible, I found my first call to serve Him. Genesis to Revelation, I came upon the middle part of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the final, the last gospel among the four that's written in that order. I fell in love with the gospel of John because in John I found out that, you know, to all who would receive Christ and believe in his name, God would give them the right to become children of God. I have that right, my friends. It's not in the Constitution, it's in the Bible. My right is better than the right given by the Constitution. Because the Constitution can be violated. It's now being violated. But the Christ, okay, the one that I have in Christ, it's violated as well. But it can never take away my right to call God my Father. My right to be a child of God. No suffering, no deception can remove that from me. It is all that is to life. The right to become a child of God. And I became one. And then the Lord would lead me on to the Gospel of John. He reveals Christ to me as the man, the God who is full of grace and truth. I always begin my day thanking God for His grace that awaits me already. I always thank God for the portions of grace, mercy, and compassion that are already in store for me for the day, the 24 hours <coughs> 24 hours ahead of me, and it never fails. That is God. And then kept reading the gospel. Eventually, I, I came to a word where it was like Christ was talking to me in person. I told you the words come alive, God is alive. And in John 20, verse 21, I'm reading the Bible. And and God's word says, as Jesus is saying this, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Who? Who's talking to Wally? Not the president, not the prime minister, not the governor, not the mayor, not my neighbor, not my mom, not my dad. It was Jesus. And you know what he's saying? (laughs) I was sent from my throne in heaven. I was sent without missionary support. I was sent without a prayer back out from a congregation. I was sent without a housing waiting for me in, in the foreign land. I was sent without a red carpet to welcome me. I was sent without a pillow to lay my head. I was sent without a car to drive. But as the Father has sent me, I am You recall the great I am? The I am was spoken to Moses. 80 years old Moses, I am sending you back to Egypt. You know, 80 year old retired man, what can you do? I stutter, you give all excuses, but the I am is more than sufficient. So when he said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I'm telling you, I, I had goosebumps over my goosebumps. King of kings, Lord of lords, calling me. That day I was ordained by God into the ministry. That day I, f- I knew my call from God. Jesus was sent to seek and save the lost. I got saved to do likewise, to go and be a representative of God through Jesus Christ. I am a person given the passion of Christ I want nothing. I pray for nothing but people to be saved day after day. Day after day. See, the day I got saved to this very day and every day till Jesus takes me home, I won't stop. I'll never stop praying for the unsaved people of the world. I, th- I have so many friends. I have a lot of family. Having traveled the world, having, to all, having been to all the 50 states, you, can, you cannot number the people that I've met and became friends with me. But I'm telling you this: My number one concern is for them to get saved. And people tell me, "Do you have something for me, Pastor Wally? you come to visit Africa, do you have something? Do you have something for me when you come to Australia, do you have something for me when you come to Israel, do you have something for me when you come to India? I do. Before I came, I already had a gift for you. And they asked me, what is it? I've been praying for you to be saved. You know where I got that from? My dear sister, you know where I got that from? From Peter and John. Silver and gold, I don't have. What I have, I give to you in the name silver and gold I don't have but in the name I'm going and I did I didn't know I was a missionary but I was doing mission work I didn't know I got saved I'm born again but I was doing the Christian's work I didn't know I was baptized in the spirit I was speaking in tongues I didn't know I had the gifts of the spirit I laid hands on the sick they recover one thing I know though Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. And God is my Father in heaven. And the Holy Spirit dwells within me. That's all it takes. And God turned me to be a servant of Christ. And, I sh- and he sent me to a nation, Saudi Arabia, where people don't look like me nor sound like me. Who cares? God cares for them. God so loved the world, He gave us His only begotten Son. Whosoever would believe, you know what? Those whosoever, it's not black lives matter. It's not white lives matter. It's not even brown lives matter. God so loved the world, every soul matters to the kingdom of God. That's what I love about Jesus. Jesus. I hope you do too. So it makes me a missionary to, in a place where don't, they don't look like me. That was good because I was already a natural attraction to them. I'm telling you, folks, I've stood in the middle of the Sahara Desert where Bedouins would flock to me. I don't look like them. I'm in the middle of Eastern Europe during the peak winter month of January. I'm in the mountains where people don't dare to go. I went there with some missionary friends. And they said, you know, Pastor Wally, you stand in the middle. You always draw people. And I stood sure enough, people started to flop. The women started to touch my face. They've never seen somebody like me. It's good to look different. But better yet, it's good to be, to be different. Amen. We are shaped so that we can be different. I may have the same skin like yours. I may speak the same language as yours, but we have a big difference, bro. Big difference. You may be taller like me, taller than me. You may, or I may be shorter than you, but we got a big difference, bro. I have a king in my life. You know, I have several citizenships: Philippine citizenship, U.S. citizenship, heaven citizenship. I'm different. So you become a child of God, you're different, you got this heavenly citizenship. What do you do? You run with the truth. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I'm now in Saudi Arabia, what do I do in Arabia? There's no church, no Bible. Meetings like this are illegal. You cannot talk to the Muslim about Christ, they will jail you. There are no, you cannot give away a track or a video or a DVD. They'll kill you. But what do you do? You pray. You pray. If you're truly a child of God, you do pray. And I prayed. In prayer, don't be terrified because God will show you things. Because the first day I got in Saudi Arabia, I saw God in prayer about midnight. And he showed me a vision of people going to hell by the thousands. It's a scary vision. It would awaken me every midnight hour, every day. Show me the same vision until I began to shed tears for these souls. Tears for souls. And God would begin to magnify his name in my life. We started the house church. Guess where it was? My house. Nobody wants to host a church. Kidding me? You want me to be persecuted? Hey, where will you host it? My house. It's called a house church. I'm not going to point to you, bro, you got a big house. Can we use your house? You're going to go, no way, bro. I will use my house. In other words, my wife and I lost our privacy, so it's all right. What matters was we are leading people to Christ. And the church began to grow in numbers, leaps and bounds, beyond our expectations. We had to rent several houses and several apartments across the city of the capital, Riyadh, just to accommodate the souls getting saved. I was with a pastor the other day. He said, you know, Pastor Wale, our problem is we don't have enough space in this church. I'm like, that's not a problem. That's a good cause to expand. See, most churches, their problem is there are seats that are still vacant. When your problem is how to accommodate people, that's a good problem. That should be our problem every Sunday. I've been to some churches where revival broke loose and people line up for two hours, three hours to get to the first service. They line up. We line up for a sports event. We line up behind the cash registers for nothing of value that counts for eternity. I wish people would line up to come to church and line up to come to prayer meeting. Muslims do it five times every day, and yet they're still missing the main target. We are so blessed, Church. My time in Arabia was not easy. When the church began to grow leaps and bounds, I told the I, I told the other workers serving with me, I discipled so many of them. I told them we need to we need to start a seminary, a Bible school. What? You're out of your mind. I'm like I'm actually out of my mind. I have the mind of Christ. That's why my mind is gone. So let's do it. We did it. We started a Bible school. People wanted to go to Bible school. Those who were getting saved become passionate. I have never seen a lukewarm believer in Saudi Arabia. To tell you, they all want to serve despite the risks and the dangers. You know why? Because all those that came to my house would experience the power of God. We're worshiping, we're worshiping, we're worshiping. People are falling, you know, they're falling all over the place. The blind begin to see, the, the lame begin began to walk, the dead begin to hear. People begin to speak in tongues, people praising, worshiping in tongues, in the spirit. Signs, wonders are taking place all over. We have a brother from Sri Lanka, he got baptized in our congregation, He goes out and the police catch him. They put him to prison because he began to share Christ to the Saudi people in public. They threw him to prison. They were going to execute him. When they took him to court, standing before the court, he raised his hand. He said, you know, Jesus, boom, everybody falls over. They let him go. That's just a sample of what God can do. But like I said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, I, I give to you. It's all it takes to be a missionary. What do I have? I have the Son of God. I have faith in God. I have my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Oh yeah. I need to go to Bible school. Yeah, you can go that, but it's, you know what? You're prolonging, you're waiting. I'm, I'm going. It's good. I, don't, I'm, I have no, nothing against Bible, because we started the Bible school. We started for those who want to know know more, and while they're going to Bible school in our seminary in Arabia, we're sending them out already. And then they report, just like the disciples, when they came back, they would report to Christ, Lord, the blind see, the deaf hear, demons are terrified. We get the same results. When we had a big number of people wanting to come together because we met in several homes eventually, because we could no longer accommodate the big crowds, but we still had the big crowds. My house would go anywhere from 150 to 300 people. It's a house. Can you imagine people standing shoulder to shoulder? Nobody complaining, still people coming. When we all came together, I tell them we'll go to the deserts. The beautiful sand dunes of Arabia are just perfect in beauty. We go there, we bring our sound system, make them face everywhere in the wilderness, sound, blasting, full. And we see people coming from every direction. Bedouins arriving with their camels, their goats, their sheep, families, tribes coming. And they begin to believe in Christ because we preach Christ crucified. What's amazing, we baptize them too in the middle of the desert. How do we do it? You know, we have people working in the oil fields of Saudi Arabia. We ask them to bring those empty barrels, those oil barrels. The brand new ones are really perfect. They're nice for baptizing people. So we brought them to the desert in four-by-fours. We dunked those Bedouins, you know, and they, gets, they get baptized. But that was church in Arabia. It's exciting to be pastor in Arabia. And you know what makes it more exciting? there was the danger of persecution that confronted us on a daily basis. I have a lot of things to share, but for lack of time, I cannot. But, you know, you know when there was an urgency because people get saved, they, they want to be baptized. A lot of them get baptized in the Holy Spirit before they get into bat- water baptism. And they would go, I'd like to be baptized in water, Pastor. Where can we do it? I'm like, you're in my house. I got a bathtub. Come on. We do it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So there's a lot of things that come into play, but the point is this. We are there for Jesus. I was sent to Arabia for Christ's sake. And the church began to grow lips and bounds. And we became a persecuted church. I visited fellow ministers and, grad- and our graduates from Bible school. We've sent many across beyond the borders to, the four co- to, the, to all the continents of the world as full-time missionaries. Most of them did not get a single penny from us But we sent them, and they went because I preached to them about the call of Christ in John 20, 21, that as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And so we kept doing the things that we needed to do for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And then we didn't realize it, so many of the Arabs, the Saudis, the Egyptians, the Bahrainis, the Lebanese, you know, the Syrians, the Jordanians, we're coming to my house and they're getting saved. Many from, from the Hindu nations, uh, Urdu speaking nations of Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, were coming and they're getting saved. I pastored the largest international congregation. Today, the, the pastor of the largest congregation in Saudi Arabia, a secret church, is a Saudi Arabian member of the royal family. That tells us that the gospel is the only thing that keeps going and never stops moving forward. Eventually, I became number one most wanted by the authorities. Number one most wanted is a distinction. It's not easy, but I felt honored. (laughs) So good to feel like you're number one most wanted. Maybe I have something they don't have. Spies that came to our congregation were the ones that revealed to me that i become number one, most wanted. Because spies, you know, you come to church, you're a spy, you listen to my sermons, you listen to our prayers, you respond to altar calls, you give to the offering plate, before long you're saved. Once they were saved, they they came to me and they began to tell me the truth about themselves. And I'm like, wow, praise God! But they say, Pastor Wally, but we have every record in the government about you already. They've got pictures and all kinds of evidence against you. You've become number one, most wanted. I'm like, oops. But you know what? Unlike the Apostle Paul, you know. Paul suffered a lot of hardship as a servant of Christ. He was all over the place. Planted churches. to witness to whosoever came to his life. Like him, you know, I'm, I have learned to offer my life To the Lord it's like, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body I live now by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Now that's a true confession of faith. That's the best statement of faith. And I became becoming number one most wanted. Eventually I was abducted. They could not arrest me by by legal means. They tried. They, they went to all kinds of government agencies and offices to get a search warrant and a warrant of arrest nobody would issue. Why? My wife was blessed. My wife here. Stand up, wifey. Stand up. There My wife was blessed with a job in the government of Saudi Arabia. She was a nurse in the Armed Forces Hospital. And she was assigned in the VIP section. You know who the VIP section, patients there are? The royal family, from the king down. The ministers of the gospel, the different branches of government, the top generals, the officers, the armed forces in the secret the intelligence, the you name it, and she had all kinds of patients. She was known as the only one who would pray for the patients, and she became a favorite of the patients. Uh, let, me, let me say this. When our church was growing so fast and rapidly increasing, and making such a huge impact in the land, including members of the royal family, by the way, you know, uh, the top general of intelligence wrote me a very scary letter addressed to me. He threatened me with imprisonment and everyone in the congregation to be jailed, properties, possessions confiscated, if I would not, if I did not stop the church and completely cease what we're doing in the entire nation of Saudi Arabia. I kept that letter from my wife, and I kept doing what I was called to do by Christ, despite the risk and the threats. Well, one night I was out somewhere doing Bible study in a cave with some people. My wife found my letter at my study table. The letter, I mean, of of the general. I come home about past midnight, which was always my usual time to come home. And she's like, Why did you hide this letter from me? I'm like, Where did you find that letter? <laughs> you know how preachers can lie sometimes, too, you know? She says, like, I found it in your study Bible. See, if you want to hide something from your wife, hide it in the study Bible. They don't read the Bible. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but she found it. She said, You should have, sh- how long has this been? I can- I'm like, I can't remember. You know, there's, a lot of us men have that excuse. Of the, I can't remember. They're like, you should have given it to me because you know who that man is. I'm like, I don't know him. According to the signature, he's a general. He, uh, he, he stapled a, 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 a calling card, a business card. The guy is a scary guy. And she said, the man used to be my patient and led him to Christ. See, my wife is a quiet lady, but she has led some of these people to Christ. One of them was the general. So we hook up, we met, she introduced me, and the general's like, so you're the pastor that got this letter? I'm like, yeah. So now you're my pastor? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Isn't that Amazing. The king had a brother-in-law, one of the prince, and he would invite us to his palace at midnight hour just to hear the stories of Christ from the Bible. We had a lot of exciting days. Our sleep hours were like four, three hours every night, but it was okay. When you're making a difference for the kingdom of God, eternity takes over time on earth. You are caught up in the eternity. Time doesn't matter. I have preached nine-hour sermons. Nobody left. They got lost in time. Might do it today. No. Anyway, for the glory of God, you know, it's, it's, it's been exciting serving God in a church where we are persecuted, And there's persecution. I became number one most wanted. Eventually, they abducted me just to grab a hold of me. It was the biggest operation in the capital city to arrest a Christian minister. Oh, my goodness, I felt delighted, you know. But then when, I, when they took me away, they destroyed my home. They confiscated all our possessions. I left behind a wife and a daughter. And the congregation were scattered out of fear. And they said to me, we got him. We got him. You know, the leader of the religious fanatics is well-known in Saudi Arabia. A scary man. Very good in English. Great personality, tall man like Joss. you know. And while we were in the squad car, as we sped away from my house, he was giving high fives to the other fanatics with him in the in the suburban. And it's like we caught the big fish. Mm, There was something in me that rose up, you know. It's the spirit of Christ, I believe. And I said, I'm not a fish. I'm a fisherman. They took me to the headquarters. They showed me all the evidences against me and then they they threw me in prison. Jail, prison time was three feet by four feet. There was nothing there but a pile of human waste and a hole in the ground and there was a paper cup like this that had about a third, a, a, a quarter of the water filling it up, a quarter filled with water. They stripped me and they threw me in that cell with Chains and shackles, and I would be exposed to tortures every day. I was denied a decent meal, not even a drop of drink, for days. In a short amount of time, I became a skeletal, skin and bones. I'd become sick so often. I would tremble, I would shake in the middle of the night because of the cold, concrete floor and the concrete walls that surrounded me. One of the things I did early on when I was thrown in that cell was to clean up the human waste scattered all over the floor. Nothing to use but my, b- thank God, I had hands. I used my hands to push the waste in one corner, and then I saw the paper cup in one corner, on, on right next, and I picked it up and I saw water, I drank a little bit of the water, and with the remainder of water, I washed the human excrement from my hands. That was the beginning of my pain and suffering as a prisoner for Christ. I was eventually taken to the court. I moved up the ladder of the courts in Arabia from the lowest court to the Supreme Court. The lower courts could not find anything wrong with me because I would present my witness for Christ. And they were dumbfounded. But then, the enemies of Christ are persistent. They're not going to give up. They're not going to let up. They're going to have this prisoner killed. And then the high court, the sentence was fabricated. and They accused me of blasphemy and high treason. And they sentenced me to death. I stood in the high court with changing shackles. I look around, it was packed with fanatics. There was not a single believer with me. I remember the letter of Paul to Timothy when he said, at my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. But the Lord stood at my side, Paul said, and he gave me strength so that through me, the message might be preached. I felt the same Holy Spirit that came upon Paul when he was tried for his faith. Under trial for my faith in Christ, the Spirit would come upon me in the high court of Arabia and encourage me that though everyone was against me, my God was for me. I thought of my wife and my child. And there were three presiding judges in my case, the three most powerful religious leaders. And one spoke up and said, you have been sentenced to death. And I'm like, I'm protesting, I'm like, sentenced to death? You're telling me? I've been sentenced to death the next second after I was born from my mother's womb. But I thank God for Jesus Christ, my Savior. He interrupted death in my life. Though I die in the physical body, I said, I live forever because of what Christ did on the cross for me. They could not understand the words. They could not connect them. You're a man on death row now. We're all, we're all on death row, as a matter of fact. And then I began to weep so hard. I was thinking of my wife and my daughter. I said, Lord, take care of my wife and my daughter. And at that instance, I was just bent over, just trembling with fear and shaking with pain, with the heaviness of the chains and the shackles. And as I was in that position, I said, Lord, help me. Within a split second of a second, I felt a steering within my belly, so powerful like a fire that got ignited. And it moves up so quickly before I could do anything, it made me open my mouth. I would straighten up my body. I opened my mouth, and the words came. And I simply declared, before the high court, I shall not die but live and declare the works of my God, for no weapon formed against me shall prosper, because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You see, church, it's good to be a child of God. It's good to know God and good to know him through his word. His word is what people need to hear. I had no other defense in the High Court of Arabia. There was no, I had no lawyer. I was not allowed any right in Saudi Arabia. But I'll tell you this, as I said earlier, they were not able to take away my right to call God my father. And my right to be... So I spent time on death row. Tortured every day flogged every day after the noontime prayers. In the midnight hour, one, one night, they, they took me from my death row from and I was tortured severely for 210 minutes non-stop by three jihad warriors. These warriors beat me up so bad from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet, I thought I would die in the torture chamber that night. There was no getting up. There was no way. I was so skinny. I was so... Sick and tired, I was so hungry and thirsty. Very sickly, weak. And these three warriors take turns beating me up. But I recall at one time, they gave me a paper, about the size of this paper. They gave me a pen and they said, they pulled out a chair. And one of them picked me up from the floor and made me sit, gave me the pen, right Write names of Christians that we can arrest. Write names. I told him there was only one Judas Iscariot in the New Testament. <laughs> and the box stops there. I told him you could kill me now. I'll never betray anyone of my family. And they beat me up more severely. I was shaking. I thought it was going to be my last breath. And the two guards picked me up again and they took me to the chair. Write names! And one of them pulls his gun and cocks it. Write names! You know, that prayer always works. Help me, Lord. And I'm, sh- I'm shaking. Help me, Lord. My w- w- face was badly swollen. My eyes could hardly see. I began to scribble, and before long, they were lo- big handwritings. I could not, I can tell what was going on. My mind was going around in circles, but I'm, I kept whispering, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. And by the time I, I, I got to the bottom, they grabbed the paper, they grabbed the pen, and they began to torture me again. And that night, the guy who pulled out the gun came close to me, and he picks me up, and he points the gun to my brain. Renounce Jesus. I said, You know what? Make my day. Go ahead, pull the trigger. He let me go. They talk in whispers. He comes back, picks me up by the neck. Believe in Muhammad and receive Islam. I said, No way, Jose. There's no bargaining. My Christ paid the fullness of the price I deserve. I was a man going to hell, but Jesus saved me. He came from heaven to rescue someone like me. And before he left, he said, he's sending me. And if you're going to end my life, I said, you do it as soon as you can. Because I go home to my master. And I pray to God for your souls. And I pray I'll see you in heaven someday. But the guy could not pull the trigger. He kicked me and beat me up. And he called the guard outside and said, take him to his cell. They assumed I would end up dead the next day. I'll tell you something, church. I was unconscious when I heard angels singing hallelujah. I was awakened by the sound of instruments of all kinds. I felt like I was in glory land. I opened my eyes. It terrified me that I could not see. There was such a bright uh, blinding white light piercing from every side every which way I turned. I was crying and I felt the hands that formed the first man. Those hands touched my face and he wiped away my tears and he planted a smile on my face and he said rejoice. I am with you always. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And I knew it was my master's voice. I survived a night of horrendous tortures. But we get lonely in prison. I would spend much time in prayer. When they took away everything from me and stripped me of everything, I said, thank you. You've helped me be delivered from all things the world can give me. And I could now spend more time in prayer. And I prayed and prayed every day for lost people to be saved. I prayed and prayed every day and every night for my wife and my daughter. And I, amazingly, I can remember every name of the church people. And I, I was passed off. In the midnight hour, when I began to witness the prisoners and they were coming to faith, I'm talking about Muslims. In prison. They began. One of them began to give me a piece of paper, a, a, a fourth of this paper, a fourth of this paper. And he gave me a pencil. I was not allowed to have a paper and pencil in prison. But he gave me a piece of paper secretly and a pencil. said, don't let anybody see that I gave you this because you and I will be in trouble. But the, the man, the Muslim, became a Christian. And with tears in his eyes, he said, do you have a Christian Quran? I said we don't have a Christian Quran. He's like, no, we Muslims have a Quran. You must have a Christian Quran. I said, no, we don't have a Christian Quran. But maybe you're talking about the Word of God. We have what is called a Bible. He said, Bible? Never heard the word Bible. I said, he said, I'm not interested with that word. I want the Word of God. Can you write them for me? And I'm telling you. The sovereign power of God can work to a prisoner even under cover of darkness, in the darkest dungeons, in the toilets where I would spend the midnight hours every midnight writing down verses from the Bible. I was blown away myself how God, in your meditation, in our meditation of the Word of God, God gave me entire chapters. I was writing entire chapters of the New Testament in pieces of paper. I was writing chapters of the Book of Psalms in pieces of paper. They were being handed out to prisoners on death row by fellow prisoners and some guards. And yet, I was. they were told not to talk to me, not to give me anything because I was the enemy of Islam. See, when God's favor comes upon you, it comes upon you from all directions. And one night, I was writing another paper. That I had a bunch of papers given to me. I was writing, about, it was about one o'clock past midnight. It was dark in the toilets, the only place where I could get, have, find safety to write. It separa- I'm separated by a wall from the others that were laying on the floor like sardines lined up. So I go into the privacy of the toilets with no light but God would give me enough sight to vision and light to write down verses. I'm writing verse after verse and all of a sudden this one particular night a Muslim came in, standing in front of me and I went like this. And he said, what are you doing? And I'm sitting in the floor because the, the hole is on the, on the ground. I'm sitting, squatting. I'm, I'm like this, like, what are you doing? I'm like, you see what I'm doing? In your underwear? Whoops. I know what you're doing. I've been watching you every night. I pretend to be sleeping, but I watch you every night. You come to the toilets. And you secretly have with you these papers and a pencil. Come on, he said, tell me what you do. So I showed him the papers and the pencil. I'm like, I'm writing words from my God, from the book of Christians, which is called Bible. And the prisoner said to me, you see, I've always wanted to help you. Can I volunteer to be your secretary? (laughs) A Muslim convert. Write the Bible with me and for me. And before long, we have the prison version of the New Testament in pieces of paper. Oh, by the way, prior to this, my wife would visit the prisoners every week on a Wednesday. The only thing allowed to bring to them were newspapers. And the women, she led the women in church every, every Tuesday night. They would come to our house they'd write verses in the pages of the newspapers. And they'd lay hands on the Lord. May the prisoners find life in the pages of these papers. May they find Christ. May they find your love. May these words grab their hearts that they might be saved. When I was a prisoner, can I tell you, after I made all those Bible verses, they gave me a gift one time. They said, Preacher, we have a gift for you. And I recognized the papers when they gave them to me. They tore with their hands the scriptures that were written. And it was about that thick. I saw the handwritings of my wife, the handwriting of sister so-and-so, sister so-and-so. It was all Bible verses. See, the Word of God has a way to make its way to the heart of people that you're sincerely praying for. But see, Prison is not easy life. It's lonely life. I think of my wife and my daughter. One time they came to see me for the first time after many attempts. When they saw me that morning, precious my daughter, precious joy, that's her name, cried so hard. She said, "That's not my daddy. How can you recognize me? I was a skin and bones. My head was shaved for the for the execution. I was changing shackles. I was I was a mess from head to foot." My voice was shaking. I was trembling with pain. And my daughter said, Mommy, that's not my daddy. She broke into tears. And I said to my wife, why would you bring Precious to me at such a time like this? Her response were tears. But she bent over and she whispered to Precious. I could hear her say, Precious, that's your daddy. That's your daddy. Precious was in denial. No, that's not my daddy. Mommy, that's not my daddy. Precious was two years old that day. And then my wife whispered to me from across, we were three feet away, prison bars on both sides and mess wires on both sides, a prison guard standing in between us. My wife said, call her name. Don't stop calling her name. I'm praying she would recognize you by calling her name. So I kept saying, Precious, it's daddy, Precious. Eventually, the Holy Spirit came upon my daughter. And she was gripped by the Holy Spirit. She wiped away her tears. And she smiled at me for the first time. And she said, Daddy, is it really you? And I'm like, yes, darling, it's me, precious. It's Daddy. And she saw my tears. And she says, Daddy, don't cry. Jesus loves you. Church, Jesus loves you are the most important words a sinner needs to hear. Somebody who's lost family, somebody who's lost a job, lost a partner in life, somebody who's just in pain and suffering. If you don't know any much about the Bible, much more than what the Bible says, you just tell the person Jesus loves you. Because the name of Christ, there's something about that name. There's really something about that name. It's one of my favorite hymnals. There's just something. About that name. I'll never forget. One night. Mm. After the severe tortures. I said Lord in the Old Testament. There were three Hebrew boys that were in the fiery fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I am in my own death row furnace. Would you please do me a favor, Lord? I said, can you send me any one of the, maybe a Shadrach, a Meshach, or a Abednego, or maybe any combination of any of the three of them? And your God would comfort me. And he said, you don't have to, my son. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're the fourth man. Man, my goodness, if you hear that from God, how would you feel? I got the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son. And he says, I'm number four. Well, he's number one in my life. Hallelujah. Make him number one. I'm going to make you next to him. And that's what he did that night. I started jumping up and down in my prison cell, worshiping the Lord, and the guards were blown away. He's singing again. He's singing again. You know, the time came and my execution was fast approaching and uh, I was given the last five minutes to be with my wife and my child. We st- I stood in the prison courtyard with chains and shackles, held by two Muslim prison guards. And in front of me, about, maybe about 25, 30 feet away, were two giant metal doors and they slowly opened. And the first thing I saw was the tiny foot of a little girl, about two years old. She makes the first step and I see this, this part of the leg from the metal door. I'm like, oh my God. And once, the next step, it was indeed precious. And she turns to her right and she sees Daddy about 25, 30 feet away. Precious lets go of Mom's arms. She runs to Daddy. Now she knows Daddy. She jumps to my arms between my chains and shackles and I grab my little daughter, smiling at her with tears running down her face and mine. She would wipe my tears with her own lips. She won't let go of me. Around my neck she'd grab it like this. She would wipe my tears with her lips. And then she would whisper to my ears. She said, Daddy, remember I told you don't cry. Jesus loves you. My wife was walking slowly, held by a prison guard. Every step. Until she got close to me. When she got near me, all she did was to lay her head on my left shoulder, and she put her arms around my waist. She knew, she was told, it was our last five minutes together. I have been on the deathbed of people that have asked me to pray for them before their last breath. I have witnessed the tears of family. I've officiated in some of the jails across America, even even the main prison in San Francisco. And I see families torn apart when a person is sentenced to jail time or prison time. And I have seen that with my fellow prisoners. And I've experienced it myself. Last five minutes in Arabia is really the last five minutes. She never said a word, I never said a word, because how can I speak? I didn't know what to say. I was just totally in pain and hurting. She felt the same. The only one speaking was precious, and she kept saying, Daddy, don't cry. Jesus loves you. My tears could not stop flowing. And then the guards grabbed both of them, and they began to push them away from me, and I cried to God. I said, Lord, help them. This time, I never said help me, because I had accepted the fact... I'm a dead man in the hands of Islamic fanatics. But then I said, Lord, take care of my wife and my child. Without me realizing, my wife and my daughter have been praying that I would be restored back to them. And they were about midsection of the courtyard. And the guard that was pushing my wife was pushing her on this side of her shoulder. And my wife did something strange. She grabbed the hand of the prison guard and she tosses it into the air. It was, she was really mad. You know, She tosses it into the air. With a strength that she tosses the hand in the air, she turns around. Now instead of facing the gate, she was facing me. As she turns around, the guards all over the prison courtyard f- stood frozen. They didn't know what go- was going on. They didn't know what to do. They, they just stood frozen in awe. And my wife, as she faced me, lifted her finger and she cried out, Preacher, listen to me. I still believe that God hears and answers prayers. Preacher, tomorrow. She called me preacher twice that day. She's never called me preacher from that day till now. That day she called me. I think, in hindsight, I think she said preacher to send a message to the guards. That you have in your hand a servant of the Most High God. You serve in your hand a messenger of the cross. You have in your hand a a preacher of the word of God. You have in your hand a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why she said it loudly. Preacher! Then she said, Tomorrow, December 23, before 12 midnight, in the mighty name of Jesus of Nazareth, you will be set free. Bye-bye. She turns around and walks away. I'm like, whoa, what a woman. (laughs) Talking to me? I'm the man on that row. Come on. I'm the man behind bars. I'm in chains and shackles. Tortured every day. He's talking to me. Where were you when I was in the high court? Where was the congregation when I was in the Supreme Court? You know, there's something about the word of a woman in Christ, that sticks closer than the brain cells. The next day, I was the most nervous wreck on in, in death row. For some reason, have you ever have, had your ear, there's ringing in your ear? I have it. But that particular day, the ringing was, before 12 midnight, bye-bye. Before 12 midnight, bye-bye. I'm like, oh, shut up. <laughs> and time keeps ticking away. Time is never on my side but I knew eternity waits for me and time keeps ticking away. It's afternoon now. It's evening now. It's 7 o'clock in the night. It's 9 o'clock. It's 10 o'clock. It's 11 o'clock close to midnight now. And I stand inside my cell. I'm like, Lord, did you hear my wife? (laughs) See, I want to live by faith, you know. A man of faith. Now I'm like, a weakling, did you hear my wife? And heaven is silent. Can you imagine when you're in your deepest need and heaven is silent? What would you do? I began up to pray a prayer of commitment. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If I breathe my last on this earth, I may I have the privilege to breathe my first in the gaze of glory. It's a prayer of commitment. And before I could finish my prayer of commitment, officers come into my death row cell, led by a general. This time the general is not the intelligence general, it's the general in charge of the prison facilities in Arabia, followed by all kinds of junior officers. There was commotion inside prison, because the tough general is inside. They open my prison cell, the general stoops down to get into my cell, and then he straightens up once he's inside. Unheard of in Saudi Arabia. Officers don't go into a death row cell. They call you out by your number and you step out. That day, my number wasn't called. He walks in and he bends over to get in. The moment he stood in front of me, he jabbed his huge fingers at my chest. He was tall, in complete uniform. He asked me several questions Is your name? Pastor, so-and-so, are you the one known as the pastor of the largest church in the capital city? The third question, tell me, preacher, what in the world is going on? I was so tempted to grab his, I'm like, you tell me. But you know, the glory of God filled my prison cell. And the general smiled for the first time. He said, I was in bed and my ring phones, it was his majesty, the king of Saudi 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 Arabia. He gave me specific orders to get up, wear my official uniform, my nameplate, my decorations, my rank, and to present myself to a prisoner named Wally. He gave me orders, look for this prisoner on that row. And I want you to process his release today, December 23, before 12 midnight. When the general said that to me, when the general says this to me, I'm like, whoa, It's was like the replay of yesterday's noontime declaration of my wife. It's like I saw her on a big screen like this. Tomorrow, December 23, before 12, midnight, bye-bye. The ringing stops now. And the singing begins, hallelujah. You see, church, I left behind prisoners. former Muslims who became Christians, I left them behind in prison. And I seriously, I left behind thousands of prisoners. Paul writes to the church in Galatia and he says, the whole world is a prisoner of sin. The whole world is a prisoner of sin. He's saying, in Romans, who can rescue us from this wretched body? He said, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. And Christ said, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. I want to close with a video, but before I show the video, I want to read a letter from the Apostle Paul. Please listen carefully. I want you to listen carefully, please. This is the word from the Bible, from the Word of God. Saul of Tarsus, was the number one hater of Christ in the first century church. We know the story how he got saved on the way to Damascus and became known as Paul the Apostle. I have preached so much sermons and taught a lot of Bible study lessons from the letters of Paul. But something different took place after my persecution. The Lord made me identify with the Paul now. As if when I read them, as if I'm the one writing So, I want you to listen to my heart. Paul went through a lot of suffering for the gospel's sake. And so he writes this Are there servants of of Christ? Talking about servants of Christ being persecuted. He says, I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. Been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once stoned. Three times shipwrecked. Spent a day and a night in the open sea. Been been constantly on the move. Been in danger from rivers, my countrymen. Danger from Gentiles. At see, danger from false brothers. And I want you to listen to these words now of Paul. This is where I want to bring home the message. He says, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. My question, when was the last time you labored and toiled and have gone without sleep praying for a soul to be saved? How much do you really care for your family and your friends? I always told my daughter she was. She grew up in America. She was born and raised. She was born in in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Raised in America and the culture of America. But I always brought her back to the gospel, the Bible words. Always reminded her. Don't ever feel comfortable for as long as you have a friend, or a family, that is not saved. And I, I reminded her of her seventh birthday prayer. What would heaven be to you if you don't have your friend and your family? with you? Paul is saying the message in his message, and I leave that to you. I have labored and tried i have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. When was the last time you fasted? You deny yourself of the things of this world so that you can make a difference for Christ and be more passionate for Christ. I have been cold and naked, said Paul. Yours truly have experienced the cold and the nakedness of death row. I want to end with this final sentence and challenge. Besides everything else, I face daily my pressure, the pressure of my concern for all the churches on top of all my pain and suffering. Every day, my passion and my prayer is to see the church come alive. The pressure of seeing a church that's lukewarm, a dead church, a church that don't care, they don't give much, they don't spend much in prayer, they don't care about the pastor, they don't care about missionaries, they just care about their own world. Paul is praying, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches, I'm telling you, church, when I read the verse from Matthew 24, verse 4, watch out that no one deceives you. You don't have to look far. Deception is within the body of Christ. We should not be, ever, ever be the same again every time we come together. For the promise is in the Word of God. For when two and three come together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And when Christ is here... You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And I promise you, your church, you especially, will never be the same again. You want to experience speaking in tongues. You want to experience signs, wonders, and miracles. Be sold out to Christ. Be passionate for Christ. Pray for the lost people of the world. Pray that God would use you to reach out to them. Don't settle with just giving. Don't settle with just serving. Don't settle with just worshiping. Don't settle with just serving and attending. Do whatever you can do. Paul said that. In everything, do whatever you can to the best of your ability. And God has given us the best in Christ. I want to close with a video. I hope you see the passion of Christ in this video in the face of suffering people and those who will go to hell if they have not if they don't know Christ.